Oh God, we are in a race, all of us, a marathon, all the way to that finish line. And that sobering little, not so little, Father, but that sobering reminder that this is a race for life, for the rest of our life, the race of our life. And so, today we're shifting gears. Hadn't planned on this, but we're going to shift gears because the race is that critical. Oh, God. Take us to the finish line. Show us how to get there. In Jesus, we are worshiping you now with all our hearts and minds and spirits. Let all the people say, Amen. I love the story of his birth. Because tucked away in the womb of that dramatic narrative is a solitary line that is the reason why you and I are here, why you and I are in this race. One simple little line that really is, this, is our collective life story. And I want to go to that line. And the only way to go to that line, and I've been wrestling for three weeks now. God, should we, should we hit the pause button on about our Father's business? Because for weeks now we've been focusing here from the Gospel of St. Luke on being about our Father's business. But it has occurred to me after three weeks of brooding and pondering and wrestling that we have got to go to this line because we must also be about our Father's other business. What's that other business? Well, you'll find out quick enough. Let's cut to the chase. Open your Bible, please, to the book that still is our book of focus. Only we go back before where we even started. The Gospel of St. Luke. Open your Bible, please, to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1, the birth of a baby. You know, we go through Luke 1 so fast because we're excited about the birth of another baby in Luke 2, the Christmas baby. It's the first baby, though. And the story of that birth that tucks away a pregnant line of meaning to you and I, to you and me here in this third millennial race. Luke chapter 1, I'm in the uh, New Revised Standard Version. We'll pick it up in verse 5. Let's start reading. Verse 5. Whatever Bible you brought, there's one in the pew in front of you if you didn't bring one. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Two preacher's kids. And they got married. And they've been married for years. And both of them, verse 6, were upright in... And this is what amazes me. They are upright in the sight of God. Now, it might have been fine to say, well, they're upright in the sight of the community. They're upright in the sight of their neighbors. But, you know, the writer says, no, 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 no. I want to tell you, Dr. Luke says, they are upright in the sight of God. Wow. And we're talking about senior citizens here. And I need to say to this audience that is composed of a, a lot of younger than senior citizen people... We really need to thank God for the upright, the aged who are in our midst. Because they model to us this business of surviving a marathon. And they show us when you get to this stage, here's how it's to be. Zachariah and Elizabeth were the same. Wonderful. Upright in the sight of God. Oh, it says here, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But... 
But, verse 7, they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. They were members of the AARP. Had paid their, their dues. They had their ARP card. Association of, what is it? Uh, American Association of Retired Persons. Is that it? How many of you have the card? Raise your hand. Don't, don't keep your hands down. Because you can get the card at 50. What an embarrassment. They are members of the AARP. Now, scholars believe that probably Zachariah is pushing 70. So we're not talking about spring chickens here. Pushing 70 and Elizabeth has got to be right there with them. All right, let's go now to verse 8. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Imagine my surprise when I found out this last week how it is they got chosen by lot. Because they're all priests, okay? So you have a high priest. And he gath- in the morning, at the beginning of the, of the liturgical day, he gathers all the priests of that particular assigned division. He says, all right, guys, put your fingers up. Put as many fingers up as you wish. So you can put one, you can put five, you can put six, doesn't matter. What he does is he starts with the priest next to him and he starts counting fingers. And the finger that turns 70 is the person he chooses. So you can never control the outcome because nobody knows how many fingers the guy beside him is going to put. When they counted the fingers that morning, this, by the way, is the third lot. They've already had two lots. The third lot is so sacred. They're four in a day. The third is so sacred that you can never get chosen again to do this. And as they're going around, one, two, three, four, five, sixty-eight, sixty-nine, seventy. It's you, Zechariah. So sacred. Because when you get chosen in the third lot, it is your mission to go into where the sacred curtain separates the holy place from the Shekinah glory. God's physical presence on earth. And it is your mission to burn incense as a symbol of all the worshipers who, by the way, when you go in as the assigned chosen by Lot priest, all the worshipers go prostrate on the ground, face down with their hands forward. That's how sacred this prayer time is. And by the way, all the Jews in the empire are looking at their watches and saying, hey, wait a minute, honey, it's, it's, it's prayer time in Jerusalem. And they would also go in prayer. So that incense going up represents the prayers of God's children all over the earth. I'm telling you what, three priests go in. One scoops out yesterday's coals. The other puts on ashes and coals from the hot altar of sacrifice. They go, you're on your own, Zechariah. May God be with you. Once in a lifetime. Boom, 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 boom. All right? And then, wouldn't you know it, somebody had this set up and knew exactly how many fingers needed to go up today. Wouldn't you know it? And then, verse 11, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And he looks up and there is this being. And when Zechariah saw him, this is a great understatement, he was startled and gripped with fear. I mean, come on, what would you do? You're all alone, and then poof, 
There is a heavenly visitant. But the angel said to him, we're going to find out in a moment, it's Gabriel. Gabriel appears three times in the first two chapters. And every time Gabriel, I love this, angels from heaven begin with the words, don't be afraid, please don't be afraid. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. One, kids, your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John, verse 14, and he will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth, verse 15, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. Never. Not a drop of alcohol. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Verse 16, many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God and he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah says, impossible. He's missed the whole story. He, is, he has concentrated on the opening line and he's missed what the angel has just told him. Impossible. Do you understand how it is with us? And then Zechariah, we actually have his words here in verse 18. And Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? This is not a gentle little curious, you know, how are you going to do it? This is how can I be sure of this? This is this is unbelief. And then, by the way, Zachariah says something. And all the men here, those of you who haven't gotten married yet and those of you who are married, you must learn a lesson from Zachariah. Whenever it comes to talking about your wife's age, do it exactly like Zachariah does it. Because Zachariah says to the angel, I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. <laughs> Smart. He, he, he's learned this. Look, at they're almost 70. He's learned how to do this. You know, say, I'm an old man and my wife, oh, my wife, she's old. No, I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. And Gabriel looks down at that ARP member and he says, verse 19, I am Gabriel. I am Gabriel, the name in Hebrew means man from God. I am Gabriel. I took Lucifer's place. I am the prime minister of heaven. I am the angel in charge of fulfilling the divine activity amongst the human race. I am Gabriel, the God of, the, the angel of prophecy. I'm the one that went to Daniel. I am Gabriel. I, desire of ages says, I will be the guardian angel of Jesus all his life along with the companion. I am Gabriel and I will roll that stone away one day and I will call the eternal God to come forth. I am Gabriel. You don't believe, do you? I am Gabriel who stands in the very presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And because you don't believe, I am going to give your wife nine months of blessed silence around that house. Exactly what he said. Sort of. And now you'll be silent. You won't be able to speak until the day this happens because you didn't believe me. You didn't believe me, did you? I am Gabriel. 
I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, let me just put the, hit the pause button right here because you have an angel beside you right now. This sanctuary is filled with angels. Thank you, Jesus. And don't you think that just because you didn't get Gabriel, you've got a wimp assigned to you. You have an angel. Night and day. Wherever you're going tonight, that angel will be with you. That angel never leaves you. That angel is assigned around the clock. Oh, that's kind of good news, isn't it? I have an angel who is with me. Well, meanwhile, the people outside are saying, you know, I've been down here a long time. Where is he? Stricken by the Shekinah glory? And finally, Zechariah comes out, and they realize he's seen a vision, verse 22, and he, you know, he's making signs because he can't talk now. And verse 23 says, And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. And for five months, she too remained in seclusion because she said, The Lord has done this for me. In, those di in these days, He's shown His favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. She's in hiding. I mean, what are you going to say? A senior citizen, pregnant. But finally turn the page to verse 57. It's time for the baby to be born. Wow, this must be some sort of baby. Yeah, time for the baby to be born. Verse 57. And when it was time for Elizabeth to give, to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. And they shared her joy. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise that little baby boy. And they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. We're and she said, no, 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 no. His name is John. They said, hey, wait a minute. Time out. Lizzie, time out. Have you looked at your family tree? There is no John in your family tree. You're going to name the boy after his dad, of course. She says, no, no, it's to be John. Oh, well, we're going to go and ask the father ourselves. And so they went, and I love this. Only a physician would catch this. Verse 62. You know, you and I do this. When we meet people who are impaired, somehow impaired, we assume they are totally impaired. So that when we meet a blind person, we start talking real loud. He can hear, thank you. When they come to Zechariah who can't talk, what do they do? They're making signs. You don't have to make signs. He can hear just fine, thank you. Zachariah said, although they bring him under eye, he goes, His name will be John. And the moment he writes, John, the padlock comes off that priestly tongue and he starts praising. Whoa. Now, look at verse 65. The neighbors were all filled with awe. And throughout the whole hill country of Judea, people were, wouldn't they be, talking about these things. Verse 66. And everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. And now, verse 80. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. You say, hey, great. Thank you, Dwight. Wonderful story. Why are you so big on it? I'll tell you why I'm big on it. Because it has occurred to me that this story is not simply about God's calling for John as a prophet. It is also about God's calling for us as a people. 
John's mission, your mission, my mission, our mission is the same mission. Look at verse 17 again. Go back to verse 17. Here it is. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Did you catch that line? To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And it is, ladies and gentlemen, because of this divine mission that I believe the time is urgent for you and me to be prayerfully, carefully pondering the meaning of this calling. In fact, I wish you would write it down right now. Would you get your study guide out, please? There's a study guide, brand new study guide in your worship bulletin. And if you didn't get a study guide, it's got some dynamite quotes. Ushers, thank you for standing right now. Hold your hand up. And I want you to be, I want everybody here, please, to get a study guide. Those of you watching on television right now, you can go to our website. We'll put the address on the screen for you, www.pmchurch, pioneermemorialchurch.org. Go to that address. It's all there. It's waiting for you right now. You can click, click, click. Take about four clicks, I think, and you'll have the study guide and you can actually go through it with us. All right. Write it down, please. It's so important that we need to catch it right here at the outset. This story, see the the first uh, fill-in? This story isn't simply about God's calling for John, right in John, as a prophet, right in prophet, it is also this story, the truth about God's calling for us as a people. Luke one seventeen. I want you to have it right there in the study guide. So we'll just fill it out. We have the shared mission to make ready, right in the word ready, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The John the Baptist generation, that, that's what we're supposed to be. You see, John was to prepare the world for the Messiah's first coming, right in first for John. And the John the Baptist generation is to prepare a people for the Messiah's second coming, right in second. You see, a century ago these words were written, and I wanted you to have them. They're, they're there in the study guide. In this age... Just prior to the second coming of Christ in the clouds of heaven, God calls for men and women who will prepare a people to stand in the great day of the Lord. Just such a work as that which John did is to be carried on in these last days with the earnestness that characterized Elijah the prophet and John the Baptist. We are to strive to prepare the way for Christ's second advent. End quote. Can you believe that? For all of us. And if it's for all of us, that means it's for you. Isn't this something? God has a calling for you as a person. Would you write that in, please? God is calling you as a person. You say, oh, come on, Pastor. I, I wish that were the case. I wish I had been born with an angel showing up to my parents before I was born, giving me their, give, giving them my name. Oh, man. I wish... I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Minus the angel. Minus the angel. That's exactly what happened when you got born. Not the name. But God had a mission. I want to prove it to you in this next split second. I want to prove to you that you, have a, you are under the calling of God just as much as John the Baptist was. Jot these numbers down because you don't have the numbers there. Psalm 139. Write down 139. Psalm 139. I'm going to prove it to you, verses 13 through 16. Let's read it. For you were created, for you created my inmost being. 
You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. You may not even have been planned, my friend. You may have been an accident, but guess what? Somebody else said, no, no, no. You let him come. You bring her into this world. I have a dream for her. Before I even came forth, you knew. Put that verse up again, please, because I need to finish that my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth your eyes saw my unformed body now get this all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to pass isn't that something God knew you were coming he planned for you you are under his divine calling and anointing take a look at this this is Jeremiah 1 verse 5 Right in the one, please. Jeremiah 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, Jeremy, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And by the way, that's not just an Old Testament phenomenon. It is also New Testament. Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. Right in the one there, would you please? Galatians 1, verse 15. Here's the verse, Paul writing, But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by His grace, God was pleased. From birth, you've been called. I came across this. This, this is beautiful. I came across this uh, a few weeks ago reading my NIV through Psalm 138. Right in the 138, will you? And then take a look at verse 8. Isn't this something? The Lord will fulfill His purpose. Uh, come on, let's, let's read that out loud together. Just those first words. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. I don't care what the circumstances were for how you got here. The fact is you are here because God has called you into existence. And the God who brought you into existence is going to fulfill His purpose for you. If you give Him permission. Would you write that in, please? Write that in. If you give Him your permission. He needs your permission. He won't crash the party. You don't want Him. You want to do your own thing? Cut out your own purpose. Be my guest. But if you give God your permission, He will guide you to His purpose. Wow. So I love this. And I put it in your study guide. I, I love this line from that classic Christ Object Lessons. You see that? Not more surely is the place prepared for us in the heavenly mansions than is the special place designated on earth where we are to work for God. All right, guys, I want to ask you, have you found your special place yet? Huh? God has a purpose for your life. Have you found it? Do you know where you're going? Hey, don't feel bad. Don't, hey, don't get all excited. Zachariah hadn't found his very special purpose until he's pushing 70. So it's not a matter of, well, you've got to get it done when you're a teenager or you're going to miss your calling. No, 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 no. God has a reason you exist on this earth. And He is right now moving the circumstances of life to bring you to that purpose. Do you know what your purpose is? You say, well, I'd, I'd sure like to know, Pastor. Well, why don't you just pray this prayer? I've been praying it ever since. Psalm 138, 8. The Lord, just say it every morning. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. God, I'm holding you to that. That's a promise. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. A very personal mission God has for you? Yep. 
But I want you to know that your personal mission is supposed to be a part of a corporate mission. We're in this together, guys. We're all together in this. In fact, would you write that down, please? God is not only calling you as a person. He is calling us as a people. Write in the word people. The John the Baptist generation. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord before He comes the second time. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I've got to tell you that I grew up at a time when the young were kept cognizant of the soon coming of Christ. But those times have changed. Teachers and preachers grew a bit embarrassed with this notion of the soon coming or imminence of Jesus' return. And you know what? I actually heard some preachers and teachers along the way who counseled us. We, we, we got to quit focusing on this get ready and let's just talk about being ready. And I must admit that the sentiments are certainly laudable. Nobody wants to create paranoia. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. Nobody wants to do that. But I fear that our community of faith by and large has wandered away from the very biblical call to get ready, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so over the years... I have noted that there has come some very subtle backpedaling of this imminence idea from all the way at the top of our church organization all the way down to the grassroots where you and I live and survive. And when Y2K came, you remember, oh, anybody remember that? What was that? 2000. When Y2K came, people were practically in our community of faith falling over each other in their clamor to assure the secular press and the worldly wise that we no longer imbibe on such apocalyptic fervor. We've grown up. We know, we know better now, but in, in our great efforts to avoid extremism, have we lost our apocalyptic edge and our prophetic focus? I'm wondering. Anybody getting ready for the return of Jesus anymore? Or are we so busy about our Father's business that we have forgotten our Father's other business? Winning a world, of course, but whatever happened to preparing a people? I suppose Jesus, if He were here today, would have the same little chiding He did back then. This ought ye to have done and not leave the other undone. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. To hear the thundering echo of that ancient prophet Amos. You remember these words? Write it down, in fact, in your study guide. Amos chapter 4, verse 12. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Would you write in the word Israel? Isn't that amazing? He doesn't say, prepare to meet your God, O world. No, 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 no. You are the people that claim to be the people of God. You're the ones that say you are. Then prepare to meet your God, O Israel, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You know, you, you probably don't read Genesis much anymore. But you know, to go through Genesis and there in chapter 6 to hear the thundering preaching of that herald of righteousness named Noah, who pouring his heart out to that antediluvian generation, prepare to meet your God. What's happened to that? 
Or have we become so preoccupied proving that there surely never was the divine judgment of a global flood that we have scientifically assuaged or calmed our consciences by intellectually denying the Scriptures? I mean, having rejected the story of judgment in the past, why under heaven would we place much credence in the truth of a judgment that is in progress right now? Why bother? And you know what, and yet, you know what Noah's message was? Write this down in your study guide. Noah's message, fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment. Write in the word judgment. Revelation 14, 7, the hour of His judgment is come. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Over the summer and into the fall, there has been for me a growing gnawing sense that we as a people might be caught unawares. Not ready for Jesus to come. Not prepared for what Peter described as the end of all things. I know the story as you do there in... Matthew 25, the parable Jesus told. And I realize in those, those ten young maidens, I realize all ten of the maidens fell asleep in that parable. But I also remember that five of them that awakened when the cry went forth, the bridegroom cometh. Five were prepared for that eventuality. It's the five who's totally unprepared and off guard, who are left behind and lost in the end. You know, I, I wonder, man, oh man, God... To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What does that mean? Are we ready? You say, hey, come on. Come on, preacher. Maybe he's not really coming that soon. And so it isn't so vital that we be getting ready right now. And you know what? I've tried to do the same thing. I said, okay. I will make an uneasy truce with the headlines. I'm not going to parse the headlines. I'll try not to see in them a divine alert to the imminence of the end. But try as I might. I cannot shake the strong conviction that apocalyptically, prophetically, inexorably, we are approaching the finish line. Once the gun goes off, and it went off, it's been off, the race cannot be called. You just learn that much about races. You can quit. The race will not stop. It's just, it's, it's now to the finish line. There are only a handful of prophetic events, and by the way, not one of them attached to a date, that are yet to come to pass. And given the times and the terrorized state of our post-September 11 human race, it seems more than clear that those final, that the final little handful could be activated literally, literally overnight. Not by you, not by me, not by the church. God can give the word overnight. So, it seems, which being interpreted... It seems that the greatest issue that faces the people of God today is not, is not the growing, take a look at the screen here, the growing moral decadence that is hemorrhaging our airwaves in Hollywood. And you know, it's just getting sicker and sicker and sicker. I mean, do you sense it? Do you see it? I mean, that's not the great issue that confronts the people of God today. Nor is the rising ascendancy of religious political alliances, be it in in the U.S. or Rome or the Middle East, that's not the great issue. Nor is it the unsubtle whittling away of civil liberties here in our country in the name of terrorism and security from it. I read a piece by Walter Cronkite this last week, biting commentary on what's happening in America today. This respected commentator. That's not the great issue. Nor is it, get this one, how the California recall 
call election has surely shown us that an angry or fearful electorate can overturn or override any decision of government, any decision of the people, if they're angry enough. If they want change, they will get change. That's not the great issue that confront us. It doesn't take a prophetic rocket scientist to observe that everything's in place. I tell you what the issue, would you write this down please? The issue that confronts the church today, the compelling issue that faces the John the Baptist generation, write this in please, is not the state of the world. It's the state of the church. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Spiritually prepared by the Lord Jesus Christ for God, God's final strategic offensive. A Calvary-cleansed, Christ-filled, Creator-devoted people, fueled, ignited by His Spirit. A people who've learned, who hunger, who seek to be saturated with prayer and the Word of God rather than being marinated in the media and the music and the culture of this fallen system. A people prepared for the Lord. Just like, you know, it's going to have to be a John the Baptist generation that has learned to color, that has learned to color outside the cultural box. Some of us are convinced you have to stay in the cultural box to be, to be relevant to this generation. John the Baptist is proof you can be way outside the box and get the ear of a generation. We have got to be countercultural, countercultural, just like John. Countercultural. We need a generation of young coming out of Andrews University, the best and the brightest who are willing to be countercultural. You don't have to follow the piper. Henry David Thoreau, what did he say? A generation that moves to the beat of a different drummer. That's what we need today. The John the Baptist generation. Are we that people? Could it be that God waits more for His church than for His world? I want to end with this quotation, also from Christ Object Lessons, page 69. Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of Himself in His church. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in His people, then He will come to claim them as His own. By the way, by the holder, holder, don't let that word perfectly bother you. Don't be distracted by it. The Scripture is absolutely clear. We find our perfection only in Jesus Christ, never in ourselves. When the character of Christ is reproduced in His people, He will come. Which does not mean His people decide His coming so much as His coming compels His people to decide. We've got to decide. Decide. Decide what, Dwight? Decide to be like Jesus. Just write it in. To be like Jesus. Just like John. How? Well, what's this little line that you can repeat every morning? The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. The Lord's going to get you there. He just needs your permission. Give Him permission to unfold His dream for you, His calling. How? The next four Sabbaths, one, two, three, four, in a row, we will search for the answers. The John the Baptist generation to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. A young schoolboy was racing for the bus one morning, late again. 
As he comes panting, gasping for air up to the bus stop, he is just in time to see the taillights of that bus vanish in the distance. A bystander who had witnessed it all quipped, Too bad, son, you just didn't run fast enough. To which the honest boy gulped back, No, sir, I ran fast enough. I just didn't start soon enough. When I think of this university community, there is no question, all this talent, all this giftedness, I know that this community, this campus can run fast enough, but I am concerned that we might not start soon enough. God is ready to start with you and me right now. All He needs is a John the Baptist generation. And so I end by asking, is there anybody here Anybody here that would be willing to join me in asking Jesus to do whatever it takes in our lives, in my life, do whatever it takes to shape me into the calling you have had for me from the day I breathed the first time. You want to follow Jesus' calling? You want to be driven by that calling? Want to be a part of this generation? The John the Baptist generation? Do you? God needs you. The church needs you. We must rise up. Oh, Father, you know, we want to be ready. We want Jesus to get us ready, to keep us ready. But we want to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You gave that calling a long time ago and then we got born. And now here we are, a part of the community. Oh God, the calling, let us hear it. And may we know that the Lord will fulfill His purpose for us. Personally and corporately. Have at it, God. Do whatever it takes in our lives. And now unto Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or even imagine. Unto Him be glory in the church through Christ Jesus, both now and forevermore. Amen.